0: Hello beautiful people, this is Shaylin Foster and welcome to another episode of Interior Motives. Today we'll be talking to an extraordinary man of faith and social justice visionary, Dr. Jamie Calazar. In this episode, we will explore the intersectionality of spirituality, social change, and mental health. So, take a moment, relax, grab a cup of coffee or some tea, and let's talk. Dr. Jamie Calazar has relentlessly pursued community activism and involvement, challenging the church to heed the call of Christ to be relevant and present in the lives of those in need. As a native New Yorker and a voice for the communities that he serves, it has compelled him to become a student of people and the scriptures. He has an undergraduate degree in theology from Atlantic Union College, a master's of divinity from Andrews University, and a doctorate of ministry from the United Theological Seminary, and currently is working on his Ph.D. in public policy and social change. Dr. Calazar serves as a senior pastor of the Dallas City Temple Congregation, a congregation that gathers at the doorstep of injustice in the heart of Southern Dallas. As a pastor, he leads in the effort to fight inequality by joining with the community and local church leaders to implement strategies that improve economic, educational, and spiritual conditions in the Cedar Crest community. He works with the Clergy Table for Faith in Texas, which leads and appoints diverse band of clergy, Catholics, Muslims, Jews, Christians, to fight against injustice. His thoughts can be read as an op-ed writer for the Dallas Morning News and a frequent contributor to books and publications on race, equality, and social justice. He is also the author of Justice or Just Us, sermons and reflections on the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and how to put the neighbor back in the hood. Dr. Kalazar has been married to the love of his life, Carlene. For 12 years, together they have two daughters, Caitlin and Amber. So without further ado, please give it up for this man of faith, thought leader, and extraordinary social justice activist, Dr. Jamie Calazar.: How are you doing? I'm doing good.
1: Good, good, good. How's the beautiful family? They're doing better than me. Carlene's out for a walk and she left the girls and they just made popcorn and they're spoiling their appetite. So okay. I guess they're being normal. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So Dr. Kalazar, Dr. Jamie Calazar, I am so happy to have you here today to have this conversation. So talk to me. The last six months has been quite the ordeal, the situation- so, what's it been like for you and the family?
1: Oh man, it, you know, twenty. First of all, thank you for having me, for allowing me to, you know, share this space with you, absolutely, and to, um, you know, just, just, just talk about a few things. But, you know, this year has had its ups and ups and downs. Uh, me personally, you know, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in That's December. Awesome. So that years. started, you know, that was like the beginning. I was going into 2020 with that news. But, you know, thank God I feel great. I don't have a flare oh. up. I changed my diet. God. And um, and I'm I'm living stress free. I'm not letting stress kill me anymore. And the family's doing great. You know, that's just me on a personal level. Uh when we get to the society issues, then I'm I'm going crazy right now with what's happening in society.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. everything gets amped up. Right. Wow, I had no idea about your diagnosis. Mm. Um, I will definitely be keeping you and family in prayer. Thank you. That. Um, but it sounds like you have got into fight mode. And yeah. Made some changes, some necessary changes for just your overall wellness. Mm-hmm. Which is Absolutely. a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, sometimes it takes certain circumstances to get us in that mode. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. And, you know, I was um, I was like so confused and like, you know, God, why'd you give me this? Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, now I'm like, why not? Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, just learning new things about MS that there's so many people that have it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so many people that are managing it. So I'm really, I'm not on any medication right now. I'm really going like the natural route. Okay. And I feel great. But, you know, so I'm also another thing that I've taken that I've started to do as well is MS awareness. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, just letting people know about the disease. And it's not, you know, what you think it is. It's like this. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, um, it's been interesting
0: wow so you've added a another important issue to your platform
1: yeah like like i need to i don't need to though but yes i have
0: <laughs> oh wow so in terms of just kind of what's been going on in the world i mean you know the whole pandemic i know a lot of us have been kind of stir crazy locked up in our house feeling pretty isolated as well as you know really experiencing secondary grief because so many folks and families have been hit with the virus, COVID-19. And so that's been kind of an interesting process.
1: Yeah, it sure has. And, you know, so I'm like on both sides of the fence when it comes to COVID-19. Like I don't like what it's doing to our society mm-hmm. in regards to, you know, people dying, especially you hear the numbers about black and brown people Yeah. and, you know, they're dying at alarming rates. But at the same time, I actually like being home with my family. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of the things that I missed so much about pastoring was Monday through Friday, they're at school, Carlene's at work. Saturday, I'm at work, right, mm-hmm, <laughs> all day. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, I'm in meetings. So there was really no chill time. So, right. you know, COVID, COVID-19 has allowed that to happen, which is right. great. But, you know, on the other end, we don't. I don't like that. So I think a lot of them could have been prevented.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. What about just kind of what has been going on in the world, you know, in terms of uh, systematic racism and oppression and you know i was just thinking about you know uh when you're in the position that you're in you know where you speak so transparently as you use your platform but then what are the conversations that you have with your
1: daughters about that's a that's a really good question um so i just bought them these books about racism and intolerance mm-hmm. there's like this whole children's series and we've always been giving them books, and in light of what's been happening in mm-hmm. the last, like, this year, right? Not even, nice. like, past year, but just with George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Tatiana Jefferson, and the list goes on. Yeah. We've been having some gradual conversations with them about it. Because, you know, they're still nine, and eight years old, so they're aware nice. of what's happening, mm-hmm. and, but not to the full extent. And so I don't want them to, well, my wife and I, not just me, yeah. but we just don't want them to grow up with a hate for white people or to think that all white people are the same and that white people oppress black people. And just really talk to them about there is something called racism and mm-hmm. and also, you know, American history. Like uh, we just celebrated Columbus Day and I was talking to Caitlin and I gave her some extra articles to read mm. uh, to let her know that, you know, the school is going to teach you this about Columbus, but I also want you to know this. So there's been some extracurricular activities for the girls, but, you know, yeah, we we, we we slowly intrepidly tell them about what's happening in the world, but they're, they're aware of racism and yeah. justice and things like yeah. that. Kind of
0: an age appropriate process. Right. Yeah, yeah. What has it been like for you, you know, as a Black man, um, kind of experiencing and seeing and and feeling just what's going on?
1: Yeah, it's scary. It's scary as a Black man. But, and it's also, you know, from a pastoral standpoint, it's confirmation that what has been said before all of this, Mm -hmm. it actually is true. And even with like my preaching, Um, you know, in 2013, even when I went to Andrews University and prior to me coming to Dallas, you know, in 2007, I was always preaching about social justice issues. And within the Adventist Church, it was always, you know, yeah, that's nice. Uh, You know, yeah, we know about it. Or it was, hey, less of that, more of this. Right. And it's interesting to see that now in 2020, it's the conversation is, hey, we need more social justice preaching. We need more awareness about what's happening in in the society and in this world. So, you know, I'm kind of conflicted. I'm kind of conflicted in the sense where I'm like, we've been talking, I've been talking about this for years. For for, for a while. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. yeah. And then now all of a sudden, so, but I'm also happy that there are other pastors because our denomination really never had like a social justice theology or emphasis so I'm glad to see churches and pastors have been picking it up they've been running with it and they're trying to be more aware but you know on the flip side as you asked earlier as a black man I'm still scared to be black you know especially Mm in Texas I'm still still scared about running out of gas in a certain neighborhood yeah I'm afraid of my daughters even my wife black women are kidnapped higher than anybody else so yeah it's still fearful
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the profound reality that we're living in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the vote. Oh yeah. (laughs) The election's coming up, you know, early voting going on now. So what are your thoughts about this race and the folks (sighs) that we, we hope to see end up in the
1: office? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think most people know what side I lean on. And, um, I think, I think right now, I think you know, I'm I'm pretty much confident that everybody knows who they're voting for. Mm-hmm. I think that's I don't mm-hmm. think there are. They let me say there may be some undecided voters. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are many of them. And I have a theory that I believe that undecided voters were probably Trump supporters, and they're like they're confused whether they should support him again this year. That's what right. that's what I think under because I'm like you. I think everybody knew who they were voting for. <laughs> in 2016. <laughs> you know, like if you still undecided today, something's <laughs> up with that. Right. But you know, but uh but still though, this is gonna be one, this is gonna be a pivotal election and um monumental. And monumental. That's right. That's a that's a better word. Monumental and everybody needs to vote. Everybody, everybody. can everybody who can vote must vote. I don't think this is at one of those elections where it's just an option. And if you pay taxes, right, I okay. feel like you should vote, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you live in America, you should vote. Everybody should vote. So I've been pushing really hard with some nonprofit organizations that I work with and even just being a pastor at City Temple, mm-hmm. been really pushing hard for people to go out and vote early. I voted last week mm-hmm. and, There were no lines. It was free and easy. I was able to get in and out within 10 minutes. Really?
0: Wow. Yeah. 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 I've been here in two hours. I'm going tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think it depends on where you go and the time you go as well. Um, So, you know, one of the things they say, don't ever, well, you know, next four years when there's early voting, don't go on the first day of early voting. Go, you know, wait a few days. And try to go when people are at work. So 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Yeah, gotcha. um, don't, you know, that's when you can avoid the lines. But for me, I had no line, I was scot free. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. That's awesome. So talk to me. We could go on about that because I would be interested to know what you've been thinking about the debates, but uh, that mm-hmm. could take us down the rabbit hole. Tell me a bit more about your background. You're from New York, you know, what was growing up like? As well as family, some of your beliefs and values, um, what they, what your parents instilled in you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank
1: you for that that question. So, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and I am the 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 last child. I have two older sisters, and my parents are immigrants, and they came from South America. Now, the country is called Guyana, yes. which is the only English speaking country in. South America, and so it's it's oftentimes you know um, what's the word I'm looking for it's 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 uh, coupled with the West Indies, but it's actually a South America. Nice. So, but I'm I'm American, you know, born and raised, uh, and grew up, you know, not in a I would say a middle class neighborhood. It wasn't too wealthy, wasn't too poor, but. It was still a victim of like zoning issues. And, you know, you had the projects as we call them in New York, very close to it. Poverty wasn't very far, the schools weren't great. Um, But my parents being immigrants, they were hard workers. And so they always instilled value inside of me, work hard, Mm -hmm. uh, do what you, the best you can, get the best job and, you know, and become something. And interestingly enough, too, is that most people who have Caribbean parents, they you know, and growing up in America, there is this like overt and covert conversation about Caribbean people. Immigrants think that Americans are lazy, and they that, say black yeah. American. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Don't, I have heard that. Yeah, let me let me let me <laughs> fix that. Don't be like a black American. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is I am a black American because I was born here. Right, and. Most of my friends were black Americans. And, you know, as I'm getting older and I'm seeing things that's happening and looking at my school and chip paint and all these, uh, you know, things that, things that as a child I thought were common hmm. and I thought everybody was going through that. But, um, you know, as I got older, I'm like, wait a minute. No, this is just this community, this area, mm-hmm. and so all of the, I had like this whole melting pot of different realities hitting me um, constantly. And at the end of the day, to be honest with you, Doctor Foster, I was—it's um, not doctor—I was, I was not the greatest student. You know, I was um, after when I got to high school, I just started dabbling into, you know, smoking marijuana and trying to be cool and clothes and girls. And I was failing all of my classes. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I just had an epiphany one day and I just said I need to turn things around and start getting on a better track.
0: Right. 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 Wow. Wow. That's interesting. I would have never known.
1: Never yeah, known. yeah. Most people look like, no, not you, but <laughs> if you find somebody from that knew me from you know, from high school, they'll say, Oh, back they'll, in the day. yeah, they'll look at me and say, Wait, that's Jamie.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's Cheryl, it's not Doctor. Oh, no
1: well i'm speaking it I'm speaking it into existence
0: yeah well you know i I've received that i re, so <laughs> high school, you know what would you say was the um group um that you were most associated with or that you identified most with?
1: oh yeah, how do I describe this group? This group was the cool guys that had all the sneakers and clothes. <laughs> And, and and funny. Right. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the ones that just didn't go to class and just, you know, made all the girls laugh and mm-hmm. everybody laugh. That that was the group I associate with. I did not want to be with the goody two shoes. I did not want to be with the the jocks and the athletes. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be in the classrooms. I just wanted to every day. School was a fashion show. Uh-huh.
0: Now, yeah. that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, so, what, that's the group I was in.
0: So your shoe game was on fleek even back then.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jordans. You know, I look at these kids today. I'm like, man, I had them when they first came out, when they weren't even <laughs> bringing them back. They were originals. Y'all don't know nothing about sneakers.
0: Wow. That, that's hilarious. So, I mean, it, at what point in high school or, you know, did you decide, okay, I, I, I need to kind of, you know, get my, get my act together, get a little bit more serious about education?
1: Yeah, it, I'd say it was like my junior to senior year, somewhere in between, right? I think, I think between that and maybe like the beginning of my fourth year in high school and the people that I hung out with started fading. And what I mean by fading, not really dying, but they just stopped coming to school and it just stopped seeing them. And, you know, I was in there by myself and one day I'm just walking through the hallways and I'm looking around and I'm like, something's got to be better than this. Something's got to change. Now, meanwhile, also um, something was happening at church, too, because I started I began to start taking church, the Bible and my religion more seriously. And so this uh, this double consciousness was happening in me that Mm -hmm. I'm living this I'm acting this way at school but I'm acting like a totally different person at church and I'm becoming more mature Mm -hmm. and so I started merging these worlds and I was like I can't I can't act like I'm a saint at church and I'm involved and doing things there and then I'm doing this at school so um that's when my senior year that I began to turn things around that guy from my mom she never gave up on me Mm -hmm. and she got me into this uh, program called co-op And co-op was an opportunity for kids to go to work one week and go to school. So I was able to work in Manhattan and then also be able to go to school as well. And Mm -hmm. that really helped me because I had to keep good grades in order to keep my job. So so I was like, all right, I'm going to get good grades to keep my job and go back and forth so that was like that was really like one of the things that helped me graduate from high school
0: okay okay cool so what what kind of job did you have in manhattan
1: yeah it was I was working in the mail room okay Okay. (laughs) i had to deliver it was a law firm Uh and i just had to go deliver the mail to you know the different different partners (laughs) all around but i enjoyed it it was fine it put money in my pocket and kept me out of trouble
0: Absolutely. That's cool. So, so, your mom obviously was a praying mom, I'm sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And so,
0: what were her words to you?
1: Her, her words were get your act together or get out of my house. <laughs> if you know
0: consummate black mama
1: that's right that's right you ain't gonna be sleeping here failing classes and doing nothing and think that you're gonna be able to live here for free you're gonna have to do something it's one or the other so i was like i ain't got nowhere else to go (laughs) (laughs) i know that's right i know (laughs) that's right so in terms
0: of just your academic journey tell me more about that after high school
1: yeah so i um remember i was like I started taking church seriously and then I felt strongly the call of God to become a pastor. And after that, I applied to AUC. Now my grades were awful in high school. Um, so I was on academic, they accepted me and they put me on academic probation and I had to prove, I guess that I belong there. Right. Cause I think that my, my grades are so bad from high school that they just wanted to see if I can, excel, right? You know, do the work. And, and this is the thing I'll say. I don't think I was ever dumb or, you know, unintelligent. I just Obviously didn't apply not. myself. Obviously yeah. not.
0: You got like multiple degrees here. <laughs> <laughs> what you talking about?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, I just never applied myself. I just didn't see applying myself in schoolwork as important. And that even speaks to like the social, I guess the socialism that, that I was dealing with as a teenager with mm-hmm. identity, that the people that I looked up to, because I'm very much big into hip hop music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most rappers don't have high school diplomas or degrees. And so education for me didn't look like it was important for in order for me to make it. Right. Um, but, you know, fast forward into college, if I just said, okay, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to apply myself. And I applied myself, and I was able to come off academic probation, graduate with honors, and you know, excelled in all my classes uh, because I put my mind to it and I began to start taking it seriously, almost as seriously as as I dress, right? Like I'm yeah, very, that sneaker you know? gang. <laughs> like I, I'm very intentional about my outfits, about everything. Like I apply myself. So, and I think that's like a challenge that a lot of uh, black boys and even maybe black girls suffer from too. It's yeah, it's learning how to apply yourself because I they have the potential; they can do right. it, right? You know, it's just focusing,
0: focusing, and also you know, kind of figuring out what kind of learner are you? You know, yeah, are you visual? Are you kinesthetic? Are you
1: you know that, audio, that's right. auditory? Uh, that's right and I am visual so Mm -hmm. I'm super visual but I've learned how to you know navigate it because not everybody teaches in a visual style yeah so AUC graduated with a bachelor's of arts in theology a minor in religion and then from AUC went to Andrews seminary Mm -hmm. same thing there started applying myself and finished the seminary and then did a doctoral degree at united theological seminary And then now I'm working on a PhD.
0: Yeah. Wow. So in terms of theology, you know, which is very specific, you know, was it, was it senior year that, you know, where it was crystallized that I, you know, you wanted to pursue a career in uh, theology
1: or being a pastor? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's giving me some time to think. When I was a senior, going back to thinking about becoming a pastor, I I, w- I really wanted a job that I can be in a position to help other people, mm-hmm. to be of service to other people. And pastoring felt like it was the best way to do that. Preaching, I felt like that was the best way to do it. I think if I was exposed to other ways to be able to be um to do that i don't know if i would have went into pastoring i don't know if i would have went straight into maybe organizing or nonprofit work or mm-hmm. maybe some other avenue but my exposure was limited to just pastoring but nevertheless i'm here you know for the most part i enjoy it there are some days that yeah. i don't I think about exposure and i think about what other opportunities could have been there for me Mm -hmm. and ways to work and accomplish that goal. But pastoring was my first choice. And it seems like it was my only choice. That's why I went to AUC.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, I mean, you know, in terms of your style of pastoring, you've been able to integrate a lot of different things in terms of the activism and the, just being, as you said, being involved in nonprofit organizations and, you know, it it seems like you've been able to really expand in a different way, you know, and that takes vision. It really Mm. does. So how do you think folks um, typically perceive you? Troublemaker. Um, (laughs) Good trouble.
1: trouble. Yeah, good trouble. It depends. It it depends on who you're talking to, right? (laughs) I think I, I think definitely people see me as an activist mm-hmm. uh, within the church. I think my name is synonymous with social justice, okay. uh, with being passionate about issues concerning Black America, even Brown America if you want to use that, and women. So anything that has to do with act anything that has to do with activism or the mistreatment of people in groups right I think that's how people perceive me and I think that um they know me for that so if you you know I always say if you're inviting me to come preach or come speak somewhere I believe you're inviting me because you want me to speak about social justice right I don't think I can't see any other reason why you know I mean there can be other reasons why but I think you're going to know that it's social justice is going to be inside of whatever I have to say. Right. Um, some people like it. Some people don't. You know, um, I've heard um, within the church people, you know, have someone actually came to me and said, you don't want to be like Malcolm and Martin because you've seen what happened to them. I've heard people say, you know, right. church is not the place for issues concerning social justice mm-hmm. let's keep it about the bible and i'm like the bible is about social justice what are you mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. come on you now <laughs> know? so I, I think i'm in a mixed bag of emotions for some people i'm either great to be around or don't bring him around
0: wow wow how did you deal with that or come to terms with that or have this personal reckoning about you know just getting to that place of You know you were going to make a decision to do what you know feels right for you or what you're most passionate about despite folks that that just don't get it
1: yeah i i think um i think for me it came through studying the life of jesus Mm -hmm. and not the jesus that was introduced to me at auc and at andrews Mm -hmm. um you know it was later on that i discovered a different jesus and I realized that the Jesus that I read about in our Bible was not popular amongst um, many people mm-hmm. that he was denied. And, you know, people didn't like some of the things he said. And mm-hmm. he was very, I, I strongly believe he was very political yeah. in some of his mm-hmm. actions, which made the, you know, the state join hands with the government, join hands, the Romans, the government, and. The, the citizens, the Pharisees and scribes, or the elected officials join hands to kill him, right? Because he was just really shaking up society. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, me seeing that and seeing how Jesus was treated shows me that I'm not in the wrong company, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're not popular, like when you speak for truth and you stand up for righteousness, mm-hmm. you're never gonna be popular for mm-hmm. those things or love for those things, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to accept that because everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants to be accepted and nobody wants to be pushed to the side or labeled as troublemaker or whatever, whatever Mm. people put labels Mm. on you. But yeah, that was um, part of it, looking at the life of Jesus. And then uh, someone that I look up to right here in Dallas, Dr. Frederick Haynes was a great mentor and a friend. (laughs) The two pastors that I've had the privilege to work with, Dr. Dedrick Blue, uh, Pastor Eddie Polite, helped me in that area um, of understanding that, you know, standing up for righteousness and doing what needs to be done that you may not necessarily win the favor of other people. So it was a a lot lot of different things. But definitely looking at Jesus and looking at his life and seeing that truthfully 12 disciples walked around with them, and even they had problems with him too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you Absolutely. know, so those, those are some of the things that helped me cope and helped me. And then also remembering who I'm doing it for. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. It's mm-hmm. not, not doing this for myself because if I was doing something for myself, there's a lot of other things that I can do that would be much more lucrative <laughs> than doing this.
0: Absolutely. So what do you think are uh, the greatest misconceptions about who you are?
1: I think sometimes, you know, I think um, I don't even know if I can put this in the greatest misconceptions, but I think people can take niceness for weakness. Mm -hmm. I think another misconception can be that quietness can be often interpreted as unintelligent or lacking care or empathy. Mm -hmm. I think those are some, uh, you know, misconception can also be that I only care about social justice which is not true. I care about a lot of other things and that I can speak on different things um, than just that. So I would, I mean, off the top of my head, I would say probably those things.
0: Wow, wow. Do you see yourself as a introvert or an extrovert?
1: Oh, absolute introvert. Everything about me is introvert. I can stay home. That's why, you know, COVID has not been bad to me. I don't mind staying home. Okay. (laughs) I don't have to go anywhere. I don't I don't even have to. You know, it's interesting if I can preach and even if I don't have to preach, I'll be glad with not preaching. But if I can preach and walk out the back door, I would be totally OK with that. OK. okay. Yeah. 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 I'm much more introvert, but I know how to exist in a public setting, so I won't get lost in the sauce.
0: Right. Right. But,
1: uh, but yeah, but I need I need moments where I got to be by myself. I can't take people I'm like oh, stay away. Let me just be here alone.
0: Hmm. That's that kind of surprises me only because you talked about being, you know, kind of the life of the party
1: or the jokester in high school. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I can, I can joke. So I would say, like, I'm extreme introvert, but also too, I feel like the older I get, the more introvert right. I'm becoming. Yeah. So I can, I can function in a small circle, small setting, mm-hmm. but when it comes a large group, if you keep your eye on me, I'll fade to a corner. Gotcha. So yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Okay. I'll just start. Like, okay, time. Is, what time is it? Can we leave? Like, like, Carlene is the extrovert. Okay. Yeah, and she's she. You think if you thought I was a life apart, she's a life apart. She wants to stay. She wants to talk to some people, hang out. I'm like, can we go now? You know, I'm tired. Let's go home. So, yeah, it's time for you to recharge, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's absolutely me. Yeah,
0: that's 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 hilarious. It's hilarious. So you you mentioned some mentors in the ministry. Mm -hmm. Are there? inspirations or, you know, folks that, you know, whether they're past or present that really
1: inspire you? Oh, absolutely. You know, Malcolm X is definitely someone who inspires me, particularly for that same question that you asked. He was somebody who spoke the truth, wasn't popular amongst his peers, even amongst his own um, religious sect. Mm-hmm. Um, but just loved the way he spoke; just mm-hmm. so powerful. Obviously, Martin Luther King Jr. He's a hero from the past. And in my PhD work, I've been um, I've had the privilege to study philosophy. There's W.E.B. Du Bois; yes. his philosophical work was amazing. And there was another gentleman named Alan Locke. Um, where the name I used that name, "The New Negro." He, you know, he wrote that piece. So. Yeah so those are those are people from the past and James Baldwin is mm-hmm. another one that I dearly mm-hmm. love um mm-hmm. his writings as well mm-hmm. um so those are you know people who have died and mm-hmm. uh they are they are inspiration to me and lots of others and today it's um it re- really is generally the same folks uh, my peers too mm-hmm. have been really inspirational so guys like Wesley Knight mm-hmm. uh Myron Edmonds you know, Kimon Hines, Seth, your Lorder, uh, these guys that I went to school with and I'm you know, in ministry with, they're, they're, they're just awesome. So awesome. I try to pull from everything and everyone.
0: Awesome. I just heard uh, that uh, Wesley Knight had, had spoke a word over this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, I think it was a sermon called I'm Not Crazy. But I've heard great things about it.
1: Yeah, he's he's an amazing preacher. Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. So
0: how do you think your background and expertise has informed you in your efforts um, to advocate for marginalized
1: black and brown communities? So going back to the reason why I went into ministry, it was to help people. Mm-hmm. As I grew in pastoring, the, something that really pushed me was coming to Texas, Mm -hmm. And the reason why I came to Texas, because I was really comfortable in New York and, you know, I was doing pretty good, had a nice church, medium sized church. It was growing, lots of young adults. And the move to come to Texas was really like a shocker to everyone. I came down to Texas because I wanted to see what life was like outside of New York City. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see what poverty looked like outside of New York City. And so coming down here really helped me shape my social justice voice. To Because New York is so different when it comes, not saying that there isn't poverty there, but when you come to Texas, particularly I've only been in Dallas, um, just seeing what was happening in the community was like a mind blowing to me to see some of the homes and the conditions and to see some of the communities and to know that most of the black churches reside in these types of areas. So that really helped shape me and really helped me find my voice Mm -hmm. In regards to social justice and how to do social justice. Like, I think when I was in New York, I was only preaching about it. Mm -hmm. When I came to Dallas, I actually began to do social justice work. Um, So background wise, you know, wanting to always help people and then just constantly looking at I'm very observant, just Mm -hmm. constantly looking at how things move and why they work the way they work. But I would say New York City, and after graduating from the seminary and pastoring in Harlem was just an appetizer in regards to social justice. Down here in Dallas, I'm having the full course meal.
0: (laughs) That's a great analogy. Yeah, wow. Full course meal,
1: in in what way? Give me a little bit more detail. Uh, You know, Confederate monuments. Zoning housing policy and mm-hmm. unaffordable housing and, you know, uh, Dallas, we just got mandated earn paid sick leave and all these various things, you know, um, you have down here payday loan advance shop mm-hmm. that are all in poor neighborhoods or oh, in neighborhoods where, okay. yeah, where, where they can take advantage of people. They right. don't have that in New York. New York has regulations against that. Lack of mass transit. Oh, New York City is known for its man tra- mass transit. So even if you live in a poor neighborhood, if you have enough money to get on a bus or a train, you can still go wherever you want to in New York City. Right. It seems like in Dallas, if you don't have a vehicle, you're, you're pretty much, you know, land yeah. trapped, right? Yeah. You're stuck in that community. So that's like full course meal for me. Like I've never seen that before. Mm -hmm. And just the way Dallas works, is an interesting city with the various layers and the difficulty with trying to get things done for um, those that live on the margins.
0: Yeah, yeah. So well put, so well put. There's a lot to do here. Mm -hmm. So definitely your voice and your your actions are uh, needed needed here. Um, So I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist in private practice. So I'm really, you know, not only passionate about social justice, but obviously passionate about mental health. Mm -hmm. So mental health and black folks. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Clearly there's a stigma, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of in a mental health revolution. So things are looking up, but still there's great stigma as it relates to mental health treatment and uh, black and brown communities. What's your thoughts
1: about that? I, you know, I agree with you. I think mental health in the black community is taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's not just in black American, that's in Caribbean as well. Mm-hmm. That if you, seek out, if you seek out help, therapy, or whatever it can be, psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. whatever it has to do with your mind, it's almost looked at as a sign of weakness, yeah. Yeah. you know, a sign of, yeah, let's just use weakness, right? Or you can't handle what you're going through. And that's always been a fear for Black people mm-hmm. to appear as if we can't handle what's been thrown at us. So it's almost like Black people have to be strong, mm-hmm. right? We, like, we can't afford to be weak, mm-hmm. versus when I look at my white brothers and white sisters, they brag about therapy. You know, they brag about, oh, I went to my therapist today. Oh, I can't meet with you because I'm supposed to meet my therapist. And it's okay for them to be weak. For Black people, it's like, it's not okay for us to be weak. And we need to just get over it and keep on moving. Mm -hmm. So my thoughts on mental health, I believe it is super important because I think living in America, Mm -hmm. and if you're Black, you have mental stress and trauma um, all day long all day long all day long you have mental stress and trauma and you can't like you can't be normal and see people who look like you being murdered on tv or mm-hmm. on your phone and that doesn't affect you in any way
0: yeah
1: you know so i'm 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 all for somebody everybody sitting on somebody's couch I'm all for uh, us getting our minds treated. You know, I'm all for us going to the doctor. Yeah. Uh, all of those things. So I will never stand in the way of somebody, particularly from a Black and a brown community, just Black, let's just say Black community, who is saying, I need. I think I need to go to a therapist.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, looking back over your life, you know, have you have there been times where you have experienced Severe depression, or uh, anxiety, or grief, or trauma.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say depression, mm-hmm. and depression has shows itself in different forms, right? So it doesn't always look like sadness or quietness, or you know, you you find different ways to cope with it. Mm-hmm. But being a pastor, and I, you know, I've been depressed. And stressed out quite often, even to this day, I still get deal with a lot of stress and depression from feeling like I'm inadequate Mm. or I can't do this job, Mm. I can't accomplish, you know, when something doesn't go the way I would like it to. And it's crazy because stress induced my flare up Mm. with the multiple sclerosis because stress shuts the immune system. But staying on point. A lot of pastors suffer in silence.
0: Absolutely.
1: A lot of us suffer in silence because we really don't have anyone to talk to. And so many pe- people, you know, dump stuff on us mm-hmm. and there's no safe space. Mm-hmm. Our conferences don't mandate that we see a therapist mm-hmm. or we don't have sabbaticals. We get vacations. But even when you're on vacation, you're still working. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Depression is something I feel like I live with. And, you know, it's interesting that you're asking this and I'm telling people to go see a therapist. I am still looking for a therapist <laughs> to go talk to.
0: <laughs> that yeah, I can, um... we, we can talk. I got some I got some some good folks for you.
1: Thank you. Please, <laughs> please give me all the numbers. I'm going to see all of them at the same time. But
0: yeah, yeah. you know, one for for every uh, mood that you might. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. But yeah. yeah yeah, would never. I don't think I've dealt with anxiety or I panic. I'm kind of more like an even keel person. Things come my way, I just kind of brush it to the side, which isn't healthy either. Mm-hmm. But, um, but no, but depression, yeah, yeah, it's it's there, and I know a lot of my colleagues who may not want to admit it, but you can see we 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 pastors suffer in silence, and that's something. Maybe I can talk to you later on or, um, and I'll mention it on this podcast. I would love for somebody to do a study on pastors and and kind of like even highlight why it's important for mandated therapy sessions or mandated sabbaticals, mm-hmm. because just being an Adventist pastor is stressful in itself, mm-hmm. the way they move us, um, you know, we have to pluck our families here and there and compensation. And then you have abuse from members uh, that feel like they can tell you whatever they want. It's just a mixed bag of just um, some bad stuff going on. So
0: yeah, it's a yeah. struggle. It's a struggle. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate that, you know, even as pastors, you know, when you talk about suffering and silence, that even though it's like you can, you know, you, you have to wear the mask that grins and lies, but it's like you you see other pastors and I'm sure you can kind of sense that maybe their, their burdens are heavy. Yeah. But for some reason, because you are Black men at the end of the day, oftentimes there's not this coming together and kind of like, you know, bro, how are you doing? Let's Let's talk. You know what I mean? It's almost like there's it's almost like you don't really want to go to each other and have those really um, transparent conversations. Right.
1: Even
0: even brothers that even know each other well don't have have those conversations.
1: Yeah, and even in even in pastoring, and this is so interesting. It's almost like this. It's this. You you should well, I mean, you've been around a lot of pastors because um, you know, the nature of your husband's work and right. right. But even when pastors, like if you just act like a fly on the wall. It's interesting when we get together, we, you know, the guys, they put on this like fake voice, like, Hey, preacher, how you doing? And, you know, uh, it's like, it was like, Hey man, just talk to me normally. Right. So we don't even know how to be normal. Right. And mm-hmm. how to be a regular person and who just, Hey, I'm gonna put on a pair of jeans and sneakers and just relax. Our meetings are like tense. our, conversations are tense and it's, it's killing a lot of us.
0: Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. Definitely. There's some new things, I guess, I guess a new mindset needs to be put into place, a mind shift, so to speak. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So you talk about, you know, you're living more so stress-free now um, after diagnosis. So what are some of your, your coping strategies you know to deal with stress right now
1: yeah Yeah, right now i've learned how to say no like that is that is number one i i say no to boundaries (laughs) that's right boundaries if i can't make a meeting i just can't make it you know i've i've learned to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. so when it comes to my family that's always a yes when it comes to my daughters that's always a yes and um, making sure that I make time for them for that. So I, you know, doing um my PhD work has been super therapeutic. I think I'm going to be like a lifelong learner. Yeah, I just love to learn mm-hmm. and to listen mm-hmm. to people, and so that's great. I've been I've started cycling, so I bought a bike cool. Cool. and I ride. Um, on Sunday mornings, you know, I'm getting better at it. Um, I'm still a novice, but we've been doing 33 miles and 35 wow. miles. So, yeah, I, I, I've been loving my new life. I really do.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I need to get a bike because i been saying that for some months now.
1: Oh, uh, yo, it's, uh, hey, I'll say this. It's an expensive hobby. I,
0: I hear. I'm like, back in the day, you know, I used to ride a bike, but it's gotten, you
1: know. So no, this, this Yeah, same thing. This ain't, this, ain't, this ain't back in the day bikes no more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's tight. Ty- it is work. Like when I, I was, it, it's so funny you said that because the first time when I got my bike and I rode with some people, I was like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. I used to ride all day when I was young. Mm. Let me tell you, Cheryl, I was dying. I was at the back, like trying to catch my breath. <laughs> so it's 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 a totally different ball game
0: so it's a workout, huh
1: yeah, it's a workout it's a workout
0: I look forward to it so uh new negro thought mm-hmm and so first first of all you know you you talked about the author um that you kind of coined that term term from as mm-hmm. it relates to you. Tell me about what a new negro looks like
1: for you, mm-hmm. So black people are not monolithic. Right. And the new negro to me looks like somebody a black man who is proud to be black, unapologetically black, expresses himself without fear of being criticized or judged, but is also conscious of his neighbor, conscious of his, you know, the women that are around him, his daughter, and he's just a totally different person than, than um than what society has defined him to be. So that new Negro is reminiscent of like, you know, looking at Du Bois. And if you see the author Alan Locke, like these were guys from the Harlem Renaissance right. and they were just dapper, very smart. You yeah. know, being being a intellect being an intellect is cool. It's like, you know, it's 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 like the it's like the Jay Z, right? It's like right, this, right. this swag about them. So that's like a that's that's what New Negro means to me, right? Um, so yeah, so that's why I just like I was so like I was so enthralled or so like uh, caught in the moment when I was reading um, his work mm-hmm. that I was like, hey, I like that. I'm just gonna use it. And you know, when people ask me the question where it came from, I just referred them to that.
0: Cool, cool. I like it. I like it. So, um, in terms of just you know, uh, social justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, do you feel like those those ideas can coexist with Christianity, fundamental Christianity, and spirituality?
1: I think they can. Mm-hmm. I think they can. Once we remove, but only we. Until we remove the systems that have been created by mm. man, right? Like, so the whole system of how we collect tithe and offering, um, the whole system of you have to do this in order to be that. So I think that it can exist, but we have too many man made rules that prevent it from being a reality. So I think um so I think yes, I think Jesus and I believe that just what Jesus was trying to show us in the scriptures, you know, mm-hmm. when he's like destroying this temple and when he's healing the poor and mm-hmm. the woman with the issue with blood and mm-hmm. she kept going to a different doctor and they kept taking more money to, from her. That that's a healthcare issue. Jesus yeah. heals her for free. Right. Just so, and so he's barriers. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So he's like, he's he's uprooting the system. Like, why are you making this, why are you charging this woman um, to for something that she needs? Healthcare. So I believe that equity can exist if we follow the pattern of Jesus, mm-hmm. but that can only happen unless we remove these man-made rules. Yeah. that are not even in the Bible that people have to abide by that prevents that from happening.
0: Mm. Wow. The dismantling of it all. Yeah, for sure. So cultural appropriation, thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I listened to your pod, you know, I <laughs> I, I enjoyed that uh, reflection on um, the whole Rachel Dolezal and Jessica Krug. Uh, yeah. What's your thoughts about that?
1: You know, it bothers me. It bothers me that this, this, is, this is the extent of white privilege, mm-hmm. that a white person can take a Black person's hair, uh, style of dress, look, and then use that to their advantage mm-hmm. Uh, to get ahead, while wow, there were probably so many, not even probably so many qualified Black women. Absolutely, that's right. Who could who could have had that job? Mm-hmm. But you just felt like you you just felt like you can just take anything that is before you and use it for your own advantage. And so, and and that's like you know, it's 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 it's, it's just crazy to me that what was crazy. Yeah, this is what's crazy to me is that. A white person takes a Black person's face, hair, and style, and appropriates it it uh to get a job, to to use affirmative action that was created for Black people. Right. I was like, like, is anything off limits? Can we have something?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but, you know, a lot of folks, you know, were, you know, being, uh, oh, wow, maybe empathetic, sympathetic, you know, because... You know, even Krug talked about mental health issues, trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, and so what do you think about that? Just kind of the differences in white folks and black folks and just the being able to kind of embrace or use the whole mental health health piece as a reason for uh, bad behavior.
1: That bothers me so much that you can use that as an excuse for your methodical, well thought out plans. Almost diabolic in some ways. Yes, thank you. Diabolical plans, right? Machinations to its highest, highest degree versus a Black person cannot do that, right? You know, a Black person, first of all, a Black person can't even act like they're white. I know. (laughs) know, That's right. We get we get there's not there's not enough hair straightener or bleach that a black woman can put on or put on their hair to make them act like they're white. So that's 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 problematic. That's one of the issues right there. And then even going back to I don't know if you remember there was this case about this young man um, come from a wealthy home. He was driving drunk and he killed a pedestrian. Mm. The judge the the lawyer argued in his favor, the name just slipped my brain, but it starts with an A, affluenza, that he cannot go to a regular prison because he, he has affluenza. What is affluenza? Mm-hmm. Because he comes from a wealthy home, he would not be able to survive you know, mm-hmm. in a prison. Mm-hmm. So the kid gets it, comes back out and does the same thing again, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, so it's interesting how they can claim whatever they need to in whatever situation to their advantage, which lets them off of the hook.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it, uh, you know, it's not to negate that there, there clearly are some, some issues Mm -hmm. as it relates to both of those uh, women, but it just, it just really kind of amplifies a bigger issue. Yeah. So um, thoughts about, um Black folks being strapped or armed.
1: Hey, it's it's um it's not illegal. Um, I actually am okay with black people being strapped and being armed, particularly too in this season. Um, not saying, and, and so I think what happens is the narrative goes because if you're strapped, you have to kill someone or you have to use it. You don't necessarily have to use it. You're 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 thinking about the protection of yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. I think you should definitely, if you're going to have a gun, you should definitely um, be licensed. The gun should be legal. You should go through all the proper protocols and all of the um, all of proper procedures, whatever it may be. In this season, you have militia groups mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. that are strapped, that are ready. You know, who is it? The Department of Homeland Security says that the biggest threat to America is white supremacy and these white supremacist groups that are rising up. And I'm so fearful of Donald Trump and what he has done in the past four years and how he has literally divided America and how he has emboldened white supremacist groups to rise up that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fearful if he loses this election, what they will be, what they will do, because they have no restraint. You know, they they have no self-control and when it comes to their anger and how they um, and how they display it. Like, you know, a perfect example is uh, when the, the young man just drove a vehicle into peaceful protesters. Mm-hmm. Now, and then you have Donald Trump who walks out of the White House and sprays tear gas. On peaceful protesters so that he can go stand up in front of a church for a picture with a Bible. Photo op. For a photo op, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with Black people being strapped. I'm okay with when the Black Panther Party and they had their guns. And it's interesting that that's when the conversation about uh, gun control you know, started coming up. Right. And because when Black Panthers were getting guns and, and it's, a, it's an American right. And I think they should go and get their Second Amendment. I'm not advocating or promoting violence. Right. But you do need to, you should, you should be what, you should be okay. And you should feel comfortable protecting yourself and your family.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So in terms of Black women, okay. Mm -hmm. This might be a little (laughs) controversial. After, you know, the announcement in terms of uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, uh, being chosen for the vice presidency ticket, there were, there were a lot of, I guess, comments and kind of a backlash from some of the brothers that weren't necessarily on board with it. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? It, it was... It was troubling. It was, it was troubling for my spirit. You know, She's a, I think, unapologetic black woman, and you know, HBCU made and um, has done some, some wonderful work throughout the years. She's my soror. And I you know, and I've heard a lot of different commentary about it. So I just wanted to get from your perspective, what do you think all the, the negative uh, hoopla was about?
1: Yeah, I really wish you could see my face. (laughs) Like, my face is like, those people need to be quiet. Those Black men need to step back and step off. Because it was, you know, it was like a
0: powerful moment
1: in history. Yeah. And if if there's anyone, in my opinion, that should be actually leading the, the movement for Black America, it should be women, Black women. Because Black women are, you know, as Malcolm X stated, the most hated group in America is the black woman, right? And I think the black woman understands oppression the same way the black man understands it, but they understand it from so many different angles because they get oppressed by black men, by white men, by white women. And black women have always had to be in the back of black men, sacrificing themselves for our dreams And for us to be successful in this world, our education, they're always taking care of the kids or stepping back. And so I guess it bothers some Black men to see Black women in leadership Mm. and Black women doing well. But I think that for the advancement of our people, we need to let Black women lead, create the platforms for them to lead, and to sit down and to listen to them because we've ignored them for so long and we've only used them for our own advantages. So I'm glad that Kamala Harris is on the ticket and I will be so excited if she becomes the first female vice president as well as the first black female vice president. And I hope that in her, in her, um, in her lifetime, that she has time to become the president of the United States and that it empowers other black women to rise up to the top. Yeah. and to be the best that they can be. When black women win, black men win as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I wish I wish we all could see that. I wish we all could see that cuz you know, I think that some of the commentary was just very, you know, trivial, trivial and um, you know, a lot of talk about her career and, you know, in terms of the criminalization of black men and her being married to a white man and I mean, it was just all this this stuff, you know. Right. Came up and, you know, let's, let's deal with what's, what's in front of us.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Let's support the black woman.
0: Yes. 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 I, I I'm, I'm there. I'm there. So lastly, thoughts about self-identifying, you know, um, I was listening to NPR. Actually, my daughter turned me on to that. Um, she was, her voice was featured on an episode of uh, NPR code switch.
1: Mm, I love that podcast. I
0: know it's so great. And so they were talking about this whole notion of identifying as African American, Black, non white, BIPOC, POC, etc. Mm-hmm. So, what's your thoughts? You know, do you have a preference? Do you think it's even a conversation? Because they were talking about you know, should they do away with black indigenous people of color or people of color and kind of what that brings up for folks and um, as well as the other
1: title. Yeah, I. so I'm, I was going to say I don't have a preference, but I will say I don't think I would want to be called people of color or person of color. Um, <laughs> I just feel like that. I just hear that phrase and it just reminds me of antebellum South, right? Like mm-hmm. colored people. <laughs> right? But I also think that Uh, you should be able to determine what you want to be called and how you want to be identified. Um, But as for me, I like to be referred to as an African American or a black man. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you ask this question because my daughter, the youngest one, Amber, she's like, daddy, you're not black. Because she sees things only in two spectrums. She says, when I look at, a car tire or when I look at my crayon box you are not black mm-hmm. that is the, you yeah. are brown literal terms yeah <laughs> right she's like so she does not call me black or any of her or anything that is what we would call black she calls it brown mm-hmm. um and so I you know I, I, I'm I need to listen to that podcast because I'm on the I'm like all over the place with it because I don't believe in putting people in labels yeah or putting people in boxes. And I think that's what America does. America wants you to, because when you come to America, you're, or when you're in America, you're either black or you're white, right? right. You're, you're, not, you're not in between, or you're Asian. You're, you're yellow if you're Asian, or you're red if you're Indian. And that's problematic because it doesn't celebrate diversity. Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't acknowledge you, know, you or whomever you may be from. Uh, Georgia, or from you know a different part, or you can be black and be from Nor Norway, you know where it's predominantly uh, white people there. Yeah. Right. So, and I think that fades into or goes into the problem with race mm-hmm. in America yeah. and separating and isolating people. So maybe I'm on the fence of we need to get rid of these color. Uh, identifications, you know, identifying ourselves by color, yeah, and yeah. identify ourselves as, as human, as people, because race is that one thing that social construct social that construct. divides yeah. us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, you know, I think that there was a time where you know uh, we were, I think, coming up. I was, you know, we were black, and you know, there was some negative connotation to it. And then it became that being African-American, that was more politically correct. But then, you know, of course, I'm not uh, directly from Africa. Yeah. And, and I think in the now for me, I or I guess for some years, I just have kind of reclaimed black being black. I think that there's, for me, power in. Yeah. Me being referred as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. So that works for me, but then I can see how, you know, some of, you know, my Brown sisters might feel comfortable being referred to as a woman of color. Because even when I think about the image of, of color, a woman of color, or a man of color, I'm thinking of a lot of different shades and, you know, right. kind of this collective space where there's a lot of different people, uh, a lot of different nuances. So that's the visual that comes to mind. So I could see why that's something that folks would want to hold on to. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I, I think that identify with what makes you feel good and empowered. So whatever yeah. that. Yeah, so you know, I'm sure we'll
1: be continuing that conversation. Yeah, absolutely, because I'm like having other thoughts about it too. Because I don't want to stop being black, you know, because right. I've been, because in America, it, you have to apologize for being black. You mm-hmm. have to assimilate, and you can't talk the way you talk or move your hands the way you move because people say, "Oh, you're being too black," you know. And what does that mean? Is that a negative? So. That's a I'm I'm gonna go find that podcast because Code yes. Switch is one of my favorite ones and they, yeah. they usually have some really good commentary.
0: Yeah, it was uh it was really it, it it gave me some thought. It gave me some thoughts and stuff to think about. So I thought that was the last question, but this is the last question. Give me three to five books that we should be reading in terms of raising our consciousness about social justice.
1: Oh yeah, all right, I got you. So Number One, the Politics of Jesus by Obery Hendricks uh obery Hendricks the I think that's a great book for anybody who wants to understand the Jesus uh, that has not been taught in our churches and in our um and in our schools so I think that's a great book this other book any the Fire next time oh, yeah. by James baldwin that's another that's another book that's on my radar. I think that not only with reading about America, it's good to read about what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And these are two books that I've had to read for class, and I would, I'm just in love with both of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that people would love it as well. And so it's this book by Rob Nixon, and it's called Slow Violence and the Environmentalism of the Poor. Mm. And that's really good when you think about social justice and eco-justice and earth justice and what big American companies, European companies do to smaller nations. So that, that's just like, that was like eye-opening to me. And there's another one called the Vandana Shiva Reader. And she's like, you can look her up on YouTube, but she also talks about earth justice and the importance of agriculture and farming and seed. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was, just never thought about the world. Like, I get so caught up in America, mm-hmm. but injustice and uh, around the world. So, those, so that's four books. Mm-hmm. That's good. And the last book I'll recommend that, let me see that. I'm trying to go through like my little library here. There's books that come to my mind, but I want to make sure that I don't miss one. Okay, so I, I would go with Radical Reconciliation by Alan Bozak. Mm, I like that. Yeah, and so he studies the Truth and Reconciliation uh, conference that South Africa had, and he gives a great definition of what true reconciliation uh, means and what that means for us in America. And as an honorable mention, I'll just go with Stamped from the beginning. Um, and it talks about the history of racism and, yeah, and race. So yeah, those, those would be the books that I'd recommend to anybody who is listening right now.
0: Wow, thank you, thank you. That was awesome. That list is pretty comprehensive. <laughs> so <I'll be laughs> definitely checking it out. It has been a pleasure. Dr. Kalazar, I uh, can't say enough. we um, have definitely been enlightened by your insights and your expertise and feel free to come again. We'd love it. Oh, to.
1: absolutely. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for making me think and to, you know, process and to use my brain. So I appreciate you <laughs> for doing that. And, and your podcast is awesome. Thank you. So
0: thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. What an incredible, transparent, thought-provoking conversation we had today. Wow, there were so many powerful gems that were dropped. I don't even know where to begin. And I leave you with the empowering words of Dr. Calazar, who says, We are not waiting for a hero. We are the heroes. Until next time, be well, be blessed, and please vote. Thank <laughs> you.